Welcome to the Moose Room, everybody. We are here, OG3, no guests. What's up? We needed uh, an episode with no guests because there's some things that we just haven't been doing that we decided are really important. We make fun of Bradley J. Hines, sorry, Dr. Bradley J. Hines yeah. a lot for having tenure and how he could do whatever he wants. Grant but money, grant money, grant money. Unfortunately, we wow. do have to admit that he he did do some work to get, get those does, things. I did. He does actually I, I work, work sometimes. He, he does work. He works hard. Today, we really wanted to uh, to talk about all the stuff he's got going on because, you know, grant money came flying in and now he's got projects left and right. And we, we thought it would be beneficial to everyone if we could kind of talk to Brad about what he's doing up there. And there are some cool projects he's doing. So I'm excited to talk about those. But maybe, Brad, just to start, can you... I know you have in an earlier episode, give us a brief rundown of what the dairy is there, what system mm-hmm. you're kind of working mm-hmm. with. Just a little, a little teaser. A little teaser. We're, it's a 300 cow dairy. Uh, most, and, and I talk to a lot of people, producers, even in Minnesota or around the US. And I'm like, really, you have a, that big of a dairy there? Yes, it's 300 milking cows, about a third Holstein, registered Holstein and a two thirds crossbred. And uh, we don't have any freestall barns. Uh, All the cows are housed outdoors. Like today, there's six inches of snow on the ground and all the cows are outside. Okay, well, there's about 80 cows are in a compost barn. They're still outdoors, but pretty much everybody's outside. We do lots of outwintering. Work in the summertime is, uh, our, our herd is actually half organic and half kind of conventional management system. So it's the only place in the United States where there is an organic and a conventional herd managed on the same site. Uh, And they go through the same milking parlor. Through the same milking parlor. Organic cows are always milked first because they come into a clean system, but otherwise, yeah, not really allowed anywhere else. So we are very unique in that aspect. And we are very diligent about keeping things separate and holding up our integrity because that's what we have to do that. We have to do that. So we, there's lots of checks and balances to make sure everything works. And Bradley, we've always known that you were a little bit special. I, exactly. Well, I've always done controversial stuff. Even when I was a grad student, it wasn't mm. like I was mainstream. That's, crossbreeding. That's so surprising. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, there's been times, even as a faculty member here, once I was, I was speaking in Canada and uh, some people from uh, a Holstein organization there were not very happy with what I was saying about the Holstein breed and crossbreeding. So they, uh, yeah, Holstein Canada was not very happy with me. So, I, but hey, I'm I'm there to talk about research and uh, I present the data and the facts. Now, speaking of Holsteins really quickly, because I don't yep. know if we've discussed this on here and it's, you know, a fun fact. Uh, talk a little bit about the Holsteins that are at Morris and, you know, kind of some of the line and genetics you use there. So it's quite a unique herd. So we have kind of two Holstein populations or we did ones in 1964 Holstein group. So they're kind of frozen in time. They're from genetics from the late 50s, early 60s. So you know, they milk about 10,000 pounds in 305 days. They don't have any health problems. They get pregnant really fast. Uh, but they're kind of really over-conditioned. They're small, round. Light way have, to put it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They're small and round and have deep udders. They're so like little meatballs. That's correct. They finish out nice. I had a few steers that went choice. Ooh. Uh, 
and the other herd is a registered Holstein. Uh, so I, I registered the herd because uh, I use Holstein ID system, ear tags. You know, I won't I guess they owe me a cut for saying that right now, but <laughs> we, we use uh, Holstein ear tags, things like that. And we have registered the herd because I genomic test uh, all the Holsteins and crossbreds on site. So uh, that's sort of a benefit of doing all that. And we do have a few, a university herd. We do have a few, we have three 86 point cows. So I'm quite impressed. Our, wow. we, can, we do not select for type, really. I don't select for type. I select you just get lucky all. sometimes? I just get lucky. <laughs> that is correct. We use uh, top net merit bulls, select for fat and protein, productive life and fertility. That's really what I select for. All right, well. I, I think we had talked about 64 cows before, but you're right, Em. That is a really cool thing that you don't see very often. And it's it a, is it's cool. A, it's cool to see them. I love walking yeah. in there and watching, you know, seeing today's genetics standing side by side to 64's genetics. It's cool. All right. And at some point, we'll have to yeah. get up there and really profile that and take some really good footage and look at that. Because I, I think it's excellent that we have that opportunity to look at how far we've come. Yeah, that's very neat that we still you know, have access to those genetics and that semen from that long ago. Mm -hmm. and yeah. And, and you're right, Joe, they, it's really interesting to see them kind of side by side. So Bradley, what, what do you got going on right now? Like what's the main focus What's the big projects you got going with? What are you working on the most right now? Nothing. Nothing. Oh, shocking. Nothing. He's never working. <laughs> That's right. No, actually there's lots of good stuff that we're working on. So we, I can talk about what we're going to do or and what we started. So back in March, I started a, a small project looking at raising calves. How can we raise calves in an organic pasture-based situation? And this is applicable to conventional farms, so it really will help the whole industry. Raising calves individually, and uh, we are raising, well, last spring I was raising calves individually. I raised some on our automatic calf feeder, and I raised some on their mom uh, to look at basically growth, kind of an early project. We had about 15 calves each just to get something started uh, to see what would happen. And actually it was quite interesting to see what happened. You know, the calves that were raised on mom had the highest growth rate. You know, they were, some of those wow. calves were doing three and a half pounds of growth per day, just drinking milk from mom. So it was uh, quite crazy uh, to see how that, that worked out. I also had, I do some ad lib stuff. So, you know, on a automatic calf feeder, let calves drink as much as they want. It's interesting. We, I saw calves that would drink somewhere between, oh, now I have to convert it, but 12 to almost 20 liters per calf per day, which is a lot of milk. Uh, quite crazy. 20 liters is five gallons a day, uh, what some calves were doing. Now, those were calves that were, you know, eight weeks of age, but it was sort of mimicking what you would expect to see being raised on mom, where those calves are drinking as much. So that's what we started in the spring. And Brad was feeding calves almost every day for we a remember. long time. Yeah, exactly. That's right. <laughs> I'd have to leave all the time to go feed calves. So five o'clock. Actually, don't mind it. Feeding calves was kind of nice. Uh, uh, brought me back to my younger days, and it was kind of fun. I still feed calves too. 
Mm. So Bradley, yeah. I have a question on this specifically yep. with the cows on calves. Yep. I mean, were these cows just randomly selected based on who was due to calve or did you try to, were you just looking at the comparison between being on the cow or not? Or were you also looking at breed of the cattle or, you know, were these cows that were first, first time heifers or, you know, first calf heifers, excuse me. Uh, good question. We had really everything. We had some that were first calf heifers raising calves and we had some older cows that were uh, raising their calves. It was really, I used what was available, you know, tried to get certain groups enough to compare about an 15, aggregate, right? 15. I think there was 16 calves raised on their mom, 15 individual housed and somewhere about 15 or 16 that were raised on an auto feeder ad lib. So I tried to get close to having enough calves to do some sort of comparison of those systems really. I'm still but, waiting on the on the GoPro footage of you weighing those calves and having to chase down these calves that are that are raised there, on mom. There, there is GoPro footage of that because we're trying to look at behavior of those calves when we weigh them and just to see what would happen. So there is GoPro footage of behaviors of those cows. One thing that with those cows, we actually milk those cows twice a day, which you know some people might think is crazy, but we actually did milk them uh, just to see oh. what, what would happen. And huh. you know sometimes those cows would come up with no milk in them, and sometimes they'd have five to eight pounds in them. They had some milk in them, but we we kept milking them. Oh. I mean, you think you, I feel like you should. I mean, it, you. I mean, you, it, even if it's just all you do is bring them up to check them, make sure everybody everything's mm -hmm. doing okay, no mastitis. Right, and it's no mastitis, things like that. Sure, huh. they didn't really. I'll tell you, they they came up in milk but not as much as what you would expect them to do. You know, now I'm looking at uh, about five of the 16 cows. What are we, seven months later? And I'm going to dry them off because they have no milk now. You know, they just, mm -hmm. they didn't really recover. But that's one thing we need to look at in all of this as well. I'm not saying, you know, that's five cows. So we can't base any of our conclusions based off of five cows. They'll probably go dry two months before they should, so they'll have a little bit longer dry period, but... Are you going to have any economic analysis on this? Yes, yes. Yeah, well, we're, we, we've expanded the project now because Brad got some USDA grant money. Oh, uh, great money, yeah. great money. <laughs> exactly. I wish so everybody could have seen the smug smile you just had. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah, it was, it was pretty smart. <laughs> so yeah, we, <laughs> we've been very fortunate to get some grant money from USDA NIFA to sort of expand the project. So we're going to do this for two more years now. So we're going to raise calves on cows, raise calves individually. We're going to have some in groups, so groups of six uh, raised in a big super hutch. Uh, and then I have pair calves. So calves raised with a pair, two calves uh, in, in by themselves. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. So that's that kind of gives you an overview of what's happening in the dairy industry. You know, there's a lot of calves that are group raised, pair housed, individually housed. And now, yes, there are some that raise their calves with the cows. So we're going we're gonna to see what happens. Well, it definitely seems like a throwback. I mean, to me, that's an old you know, there are still places that I used to go and practice where you'd walk into the tie stall or the stanchion and there's calves just running loose. Uh, and that 
that's how they were raised. They stayed in the barn with everybody and drank off of pretty much anyone that would let them. It, it's it, it's a little bit of a throwback, but I always struggle to figure out how it's going to pencil out over time. I think it's it is something that people are interested in because it just and, and it's definitely there's a perception issue to it too. I think you know like if you can say yeah, well, I mean that's always been the the conversation with the general public is why can't they just stay with mom? Number one consumer concern. Which is crazy to me. I mean, there's a lot of good reasons to take that baby away besides economics, right? I mean, we're looking at disease and yeah, I mean, safety. Wanna, yeah, all that. So hey, I'm good, excited. I'm excited to see it. It's a good question. And, you know, we're, we're trying. We're, that, that's our goal is to help the industry, farmers, as well as consumers. They're asking for it. So we're, you know, one of the first that's going to be able to have some sort of data that's going to show whether it works or not. And, you know, there, there, there is a, a project happening in Sweden right now where they're raising calves on cows in a freestall barn with robots. So it is happening in other places in the world, but it's still early, even in the Swedish study, you know, there's nothing really conclusive about it yet either. So I'm, I'm excited that you got it extended for two more years. That'll get you more numbers, all those yeah. other things. And we're going to go to farms too. We're going to go to about 40 farms in the Midwest here. Uh, looking at calves on how they're raised on different farms and stuff. So we may be calling on some producers that are listening to go look at their calves and take a few measurements just to see what's happening. Absolutely. What else are you working what on? Else? I, know, I know you've got that's ongoing and will be ongoing for a couple more years. What what else you got going? Actually, we're going to start. Uh, we've kind of started another new project looking at disbudding in calves. So, you know, some people call it dehorning, whatever. Uh, so we're going to look at alternative ways uh, of pain reduction in uh, trying to disbud calves. So we, ha we haven't started it yet, but we're going to be looking at white willow bark extract as a way to help uh, alleviate pain. So looking at some... Really? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Interesting. So... Are you uh, going to be looking at lemongrass at all? No lemongrass. Sorry. No lemongrass. Uh, banamine or flunixin, uh, lidocaine, and yeah, uh, extract, you know, kind of a, I don't know what you'd call it, essential oils or... or Holistic. Is that, Look is that driven the, by the organic side then, Brad? Is that all? It is, it is driven by the organic side, yes, because, you know, you can use a lidocaine, uh, but there's, you know, you can't use meloxicam, which a lot of people want to use for pain mitigation in, in the US and Canada and other places, uh, but that is not allowed in uh, organic situations. So even, you know, we'll look at alternatives. Yes, we're doing it for organic farmers, but I think it will help the dairy industry in a whole too, is trying to figure out, can we use other methods just besides lidocaine or banamine or I shouldn't say banamine, it's Nixon uh, to, uh, to do that. And here's the intriguing part of it. Oh well, man. Uh oh, just because you, you, we talk about disbudding uh, and part of the national farm program and stuff, that doesn't mean that you actually have to do it. So we are going to have about 30 calves that we don't disbud. They're going to grow horns. Oh, boy. Uh, so we're going to have a few <laughs> Joe shaking his head. <laughs> it makes me cringe a little bit. So we are going to have about 30 calves, you know, at some point. This is long term, you know, some, our oldest cow at Morris is 17 years old. So we could be talking about 
a calf being born next March is going to be around for 15 years in our herd with horns. Uh, so, oh, you'll you'll color before that. Yeah. So, but, but we gotta we gotta know that too. There are some farms that that do have horns on their cattle, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we need to know what happens, you know. So we'll be looking at behavior uh, and behavior of you know when those animals are in a shoot, how they interact with other cows, how they interact with humans things like that. So Joe gave me the look that everybody at our research center gave me when I told them that, like, what the, is this crazy guy <laughs> doing? Well, I think that it's... And I'm up here like, yay! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, it's, a, it's, a, it's something that it happens in the industry. There's animals with horns. I, I, I'm, I'm always conflicted on it, you know, because I, I get called when I was in practice to places where to dehorn animals that are way too big to be dehorning. Yep. Uh, and it's not, it's not a good process. It's not. And, and I'm, I'm almost to the point where, yeah, maybe there should be a limit that says, no, if they're this old or their horns are this long or however you want to do it, then we're not, we're not doing it. And that's your problem. And I, I'm, I'm pretty close to being fine with that. Now, maybe that's just my, new i'm a dad and i don't have any sleep so like there's just i don't care anymore <laughs> exactly. but maybe that's part of that but i I'm, I'm pretty close to that i think it's one of those things where it's like we have so many people that do such an excellent job of managing that piece of it that I, i'm 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 pretty much out of excuses for other people that choose that want their cattle dehorned but do it incorrectly mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah. yeah and it's you know a safety issue for other cows and for people and that's my biggest issue with it and why I think, yeah, there does need to be some sort of standards in place to protect vets, to protect people working on the farms, to protect other cattle in the pen. We have one horned cow at our research center. She was, I think it was supposed to be a, a pulled bull that I used and then the it just never turned. It wasn't pulled and, you know, kind of a breeding oops. And Bradley was hung over the morning he was <laughs> supposed to dehorn her. Maybe. Who knows. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so she does have horns. She is a three-year-old cow now and uh, not really causing any issues. I have seen her use her horns once in a while on another cow to like push them along if they're in a you know, in a pen or something just to get it moved out of the way. But I don't, she's not any uh, worse than any of the other cows and she's quite docile. So that's an N of one. So <laughs> N, N equals of one. one, N equals one, but uh, we do have one and she's not, not any worse than any of the other cows. We Very had cool. a cow with one horn growing up and her name was Ragamuffin. Nice. That's a good name. That's a good name. That's a really good name. Doing some dehorning. You yep. know, you've got calves raised on cows. And yep. I, I think the big thing to point out so far that I hope everyone's picking up on, this is stuff that happens in the real world. world. This, is, a, this yeah. is applied research. This isn't something that's going to matter to nobody. This is going to matter to a lot of people. So I, I'm a big fan of that. I, I always want to ask the question, like, if you're going to do a research project, just to do research, then I really don't care. But this is stuff that matters and people are, are going to get valuable information out of it. Well, that's what we've always tried to do. Even when I started there was tried to do, you know, my first research projects were really started by an idea that farmers gave to me when I was attending some meetings or whatever, meeting people, they just give me these ideas on what to do. And it's like, Oh yeah, I could probably do that. And some, you know, sometimes you're like, well, you figure it out first and then tell us if it works or not. 
uh, that's what we're here for. We're here to do the research and ask the tough questions. And all my research has been applicable to farmers. Yep, sometimes we get uh, results that we don't like, or it's like, oh, well, that didn't really work. So let's do something else. But that's good to know, too. I mean, you got to know when it doesn't work and when you don't get the results you want. Uh, that's that's still valuable information. Uh, I think we look past that sometimes, but you're also ultrasounding calves now for whatever reason. I keep getting texts and pictures of, of ultrasound machines and and, and, and calves. So. Oh, good. You get those too. Yeah. yeah. Tell me what's going on. Yeah, we're ultrasounding lungs on calves. So looking at, it goes along with uh, all these uh, calf housing situations looking at pneumonia and respiratory problems. Uh, you know, a lot of farms have respiratory issues with calves. So we're ultrasounding lungs at uh, four weeks of age and at weaning to see if there's any respiratory problems or pneumonia or anything like that. I haven't found anything yet, which is a good thing. I don't expect to find much on our dairy. We tend to, we vaccinate for respiratory issues and we, our calves are outdoors and we have quite good management. But we're going to go to, like I talked about all these other farms, we're going to go to other farms and ultrasound some of their calves to see if they have any respiratory problems or what's going on. So it'll be kind of interesting to see uh, what we find on other farms. And we may find some at our, our research farm too, but we haven't found any yet. And I've ultrasounded, I don't know, 20 calves or more. Are you going to try to correlate that down the road with lifetime performance, or at least it, all the way into lactation. Right, at least try and look at breeding as a heifer and first lactation performance to see uh, what happens. At least that's the goal. And then compare yeah. it to treatment records too, right? Yep, yep, okay. and compare it to all that too. So yeah, and it's kind of You'll be doing this on different types of farms, like not just grazing dairies, you'll do it on standard conventional freestyle. Yeah, we can look, yeah, we'll go to some other farms too and, and look at uh, respiratory issues on trying to get a cross section of how people have raised their calves and, and what's happening. So that would be really cool, especially if you can, you can get treatment records from farmers, if they're willing to, to give that to you and compare it with ventilation types and all sorts of other different things, stocking density, paired individual, mm -hmm. all those things. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. So. That's a lot of work though. You got someone helping you with that one? I do. You do. I, I do Joe's have a sad because he wants it to be him. Yeah, hey, right. Joe, Joe can come out and do it anytime he wants. I would love to, but can yeah. I come out and do it? You can anytime you want. You know I felt that. Excluded. No, you can come out and do it. <laughs> no, I would love to be out on farm. That would be uh, excellent. But well, remember, uh, Joe is the DVM. He, you know, he's the doctor. He knows it all, and. Yeah, not. that's true. Do he does know it all. I don't know it all. <laughs> don't put that out there. <laughs> yeah. Joe Armstrong knows everything. <laughs> so, so Kurt, is it Kirsten? Is Kirsten helping? Kirsten, yeah. So my grad student, we've heard her on podcast stuff before, talking about solar and dairy energy. She, uh, I hired her to keep uh, as my technician to help with these projects because it's a, a big undertaking, especially right now when we're feeding calves ourselves, and it's kind of hard with you know, coronavirus trying to keep everything going. Well, good. I'm I lucky mean, I, to keep her around. Yeah, it's really nice that you can, you can have someone else to help you with that because that's three projects that are very involved. And uh, I do have another one. I did. You got another one yet, too. So, so there's four. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I got, 
another fortunate uh, USDA grant. Right, money grant, money grant, money. Right. <laughs> so this is a grazing project actually going to start next year. So we're looking at trying to increase clovers and legumes in, I guess, diets of, of cows and looking at phytoestrogens in clovers and grasses. So there's an idea that a phytoestrogen reduces fertility. Uh, if cows maybe eat too much uh, phytoestrogen from uh, legumes or something, it may have a reduction in fertility. So we're going to look at alternative clovers and grasses and trying to increase legumes in diets of cows and look at grazing, milk profiles, uh, all that stuff. So that's a four-year project too. So we'll be doing quite a few stuff with uh, grazing cows starting next year as well. So, so stay yeah. tuned because in four years, we'll revisit this. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, lots of stuff. I'm going to put cows back in my our tie stall barn in our research center. So there hasn't been any cows. So we can do a small study next winter looking at, you know, feeding these cows over the winter, how they, you know, produce on increasing legumes. You know, we're going to go, I think, 50% legumes in the diet on some. So we'll do a small study in, in our tie stall barn and look at individual feed intakes and stuff. So we haven't had cows in our tie stall barn at Morris in 20 years. And I'm the crazy guy that decided that we should do it again. So well, if anybody wants to come out and feed cows in a tie stall barn individually, we're looking for help. <laughs> that's a lot of work too. Exactly. You don't you don't pick projects that are just, you know, low input here. No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> well, this this one, are you looking at are you looking at the effect on calves too and, and replacements? Because I feel nope. like that that would be my my big question with these phytoestrogens. Is there an effect on a developing uh, animal? And there may what's happening. There may be. Uh, I don't. That's not the big objective of the project, but that certainly could be something as a side effort that we're working at. We we're working on this project with uh, New, University of New Hampshire. So my colleague Andre Brito out at New Hampshire is uh, leading the project, and so it's happening at New Hampshire. Uh, University of Maine is working with us, and here at Minnesota. So uh, it'll be you know kind of across the the top half of the U.S. where we're looking at lots of organic herds throughout the U.S. So it'll be a big study. I, I didn't, you know, I've heard about phytoestrogens in sheep and that, that was where I didn't realize it was something that had become something that was a, a potential in cattle as well. Yeah, there hasn't been much really in cattle and there's some maybe in Australia that have done a little bit, but not, not a lot. So it'll be, uh, that'll be an interesting project. Looking forward to it. I'm I something's ringing a bell about phytoestrogens too about potentially protective effects in some way is that in small doses is that a thing possibly yeah we're not quite sure what it does there may be some indication that it reduces fertility but it could you know it's certainly at what level does that have to be so we're that's that's what we're gonna try to explore anyways oh cool it'll be interesting plenty of work are you gonna get more help or are you are you still looking for are you looking for more grad students trying to manage even more people? <laughs> yes. Yeah, there'll be lots of grad students now. Lots of grad students. So it should be fun. I got another project. Do you want me to keep going? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> keep going? I might as well. We're going to be a three-parter by the time we're done. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I also got, an, we'll probably start another project next summer recommended for uh, funding would be to look at longer term effects of grazing underneath solar panels. 
So we, you know, we did that before we talked about it in an earlier episode this past spring, but now we're, uh, that was a short, you know, three, four week time period where we did that. So we're actually going to look at it for the whole grazing season and look at it for winter. So can we use the solar panels for windbreak? And also I have planned to grow crops under them, you know, can we grow corn, soybeans, wheat, uh, underneath solar panels and how well do they do compared to, you know, regular field conditions. So I'll probably get in trouble for this, but I'm not a big fan <laughs> of solar panels uh, taking away valuable farmland. I think, uh, and that's what our plan is to, you know, raise them up. Uh, our ones now are eight feet up, you know, can I raise it up 15, 16 feet, you know, still get solar energy and grow corn under it and run a combine under it. That's what we're, that's what we're trying to do. Mm. So, um, so yeah, if you can, you know, if a farmer has a field and a solar company comes to him and wants to use a light, well, we're going to put it up 16 feet and you grow corn under it and we'll get your solar energy and everybody wins. That's what the other project is going to look at. So that'll be, you know, probably starting next, uh, next, later next summer. So that'll be, you know, three years after that, but it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Yeah, it's been a pet peeve of mine, you know, and then even just in the last two to three years, we started to see a ton of it, right, where people were converting really good farmland and or pasture to solar farm only, like right. there was no other use for that land. And that that really, yeah, I, I agree, Bradley, it might maybe it's it'll get me in trouble as well. But I'm right there with you. I really don't think that we have to choose one or the other. There's got to be a way to use both. Right. And that's what we're trying to figure out is, you know, can we integrate solar into ag land and make it useful and a win for everybody? Emily, do we have any other burning questions for Bradley? Are there, are there more, uh, there's no more projects, right? Is that the last one? Well, I could keep going on and on and on and on, you know, Please there's another project. (laughs) No, there, well, I do other, you know, I'm still crossbreeding, so I'm comparing Holsteins and crossbreds, but that's, that's ongoing and has been ongoing. So just a matter of looking at data and, there's well, always got, stuff going on. It's not like I don't do anything. <laughs> well, you got enough sensors out there too. So. Yeah, exactly. I got sensors. I got some new sensors I'm putting on calves too. It's kind of cool. Oh, God. All right. Actually, I do have a burning question. <laughs> you guys need to come out and see what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wish we could travel. But all right, Em, what's your burning question? My burning question, because Bradley, you'll remember, I was always kind of obsessed with these. Are you going to be doing anything more with the fly vacuums or anything further? Or do you just feel like that's done? We found what we found. Because those I are don't. so cool. It is. It, and it works. And we still use it. We still use our, our cow vacuum to, to take horn flies off our pasture cows during the summer. I think they work. Uh, our research shows that they work. Uh, I don't have any plans to do anything more with them. You know, I could do some things. With them, I've thought about, you know, looking at heifers or incorporating some essential oil sprays as the cows walk out. You know, there could be lots of things that I could do with them, but I don't have any plans to do any more research with them, but I still use it and I like it. Oh, you'll find a grant to do more research. At some point I could, yeah. Yeah. Maybe you want to be my grad student. (laughs) Sure. Sign me up. I'm there. Yeah. The Emily doesn't have enough going on already. Exactly. Exactly. Just keep pile it on. It's fine. We like to do things that are pertinent to the industry. That's cutting edge and uh, will have probably long-term effects on, on dairy cows in, in the U.S. and around the world. So that's, that's why we're here. And that's, why, that's what makes me tick. 
Good deal. Well, I we we learned a little bit more about Dr. Bradley J. Hines and the Morris Theory uh, and what's going on up there. And periodically, we'll we'll provide updates. You know, it, some of these are pretty long term projects, but maybe we can get a hold of some like GoPro footage. Maybe there's some footage of 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 Bradley being frustrated by chasing calves. That would be appreciated. <laughs> I think that yeah, we'll we'll continue to provide updates. Hopefully, this gave you kind of an insight into one of our very important tenured co-hosts here. And I here's my shameless plug. If you want to see more, I have an Instagram page. It's U-M-N-W-C-R-O-C Dairy. So follow us. See, yeah. what, see what we're doing. It, it is a pretty awesome awesome Instagram, actually. Yeah, I, I'm impressed. It's, it's nice to, uh, especially when we're stuck at home here, to, to wake up, check Instagram and see that's at least someone's getting outside and someone's seeing animals. Uh, so that's, that's really nice to see. It's all about cows that and what made, we do and what, what else we do, do you want to see day. on Instagram. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, my workout selfies. Oh, of course. Sorry. <laughs> Don't forget about Emily's workout selfies, but most of us want to see cows. So check out Brad's Instagram. U M N W C R O C dairy. Perfect. Check it out. Also, Emily needs to plug her YouTube channel. You can find us at U of M Extension Farm Safety and Health. Perfect. If you have scathing rebuttals, questions, comments, anything that you want to know more about on this show, you can send those to the Moose Room at umn.edu. That's T-H-E-M-O-O-S-R-O-O-M at umn.edu. Check out our website, extension.umn.edu. And on Facebook, we're at UMN Dairy and at UMN Beef. Thank you for listening, everybody. We will catch you next week. Bye. Bye. You can email us at the moosroom.umn.edu. That's, that's, that's sad. Cheap. I said it wrong. Yeah, I know you did. Gonna cover for you. No, no. All right, do it again then. Fine. Perfect. Perfect.